Thanks for joining us today for Bread of Life, a ministry of Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. At the core of our ministry is the conviction that Christ is our sufficiency in all things. Our prayer is that the message today might bring your thoughts near to Christ's abundant grace. To contact us, please call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. And now here for a brief introduction is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. The Lord Jesus' life and death in Israel, his resurrection, the outpouring of his spirit at Pentecost upon the church in Jerusalem, the dynamic witness and miracles of the early church, all these converged to bring many Jews in Jerusalem onto a road directing them to Jesus as the Messiah. But at the time of the writing of this letter of Hebrews, many of these Jews are being tempted to pull off that road and drive back into the familiar comforts of Judaism. It was a motion of unbelief that would bring them into destruction. God gives us a time period to decide to move to Him. He will lay up the evidence of His truth to compel us and turn us to Himself. The inquiring person must not waste that opportunity and turn away from the progressive revealings of God's truth from His Word. They must not turn back on the road they're on. When we look at this passage, again, it's important for us to remind ourselves who the author of Hebrews is writing to. He's writing to Jews who have, in a sense, initially surmised that Jesus was the Christ and Messiah. Initially believed that Christ was the Messiah. But they've not, at the same time, come out of the tradition and the house of Judaism into the fullness that's Christ. They claim to follow Moses and to follow the traditions that Moses gave them. Moses gave them the symbols of God's salvation that are found in the temple and in its laws and in its rituals and in its sacrifices and in its priesthood. But now Christ has come along, the author tells us, and he is greater than Moses and he is offering to the people, not symbols as Moses offered to the people by God's leading, but he is offering himself as the substance of salvation for which the symbols had stood and to which the symbols had directed. And when the substance appears, the symbols are to be set aside. But they're still clinging to the symbols. There's something lovely and beautiful and profound and wonderful to them. Maybe in some way there would be a point in which God would let them come back to those symbols and hold them and value them in the right place, in the right light. And it appears, if I understand Scripture and I understand eschatology, that the symbol of the temple is going to be reintroduced when Christ is enthroned and reigning as Messiah. But for now, it's to be set aside so that Christ might be recognized and understood to be its complete and utter fulfillment, the fulfillment of all those symbols. But they're not willing to come away from those symbols And to cast themselves completely upon the saving substance of Christ alone. And that's the predicament they're in. The Jewish people, by way of example, in a way, had been speeding down through the turnpike of time. And they had been used of God in the direction which they were going and moving to direct themselves and to direct other nations through their spiritual journey towards the Messiah and towards the revelation of God's final and full salvation in the Messiah. And at this point in time, they have, in a sense, slowed down. They've even 
gone on a turnoff from this turnpike that they've been on to roll their windows down in a sense and to look at and gaze upon and consider Christ as the answer to all that they've been moving towards and driving towards. For a moment, they've turned into Him and they've understood His miracles and they've known His teaching and they've known of His resurrection and His ascension and of the outpouring of the Spirit that He put down on the day of Pentecost upon His disciples. And they've been eyewitnesses of the progressive expression of the power of God that's come from this band of apostles. But with all of that, they're about to drive on by. They're about ready to turn back onto the turnpike. They're increasingly unwilling to get off the road that they were on. They're about to move past this point where Christ has revealed himself. They don't know that beyond this point, if they turn away from Christ, there's only ruin and destruction. In fact, within a few years, the temple is going to be destroyed and all those symbols are going to be totally wiped out. In Jerusalem today, all they have is a wall that they go and wail before. What they don't understand, what they don't know, is that the stopping point, the culmination point that their forebearers were journeying to was Christ himself. And by the way, in our passage, we read the word rest over and over again. And really, that is the primary definition of the word rest. It's a stopping point. It's a point of cessation. It's a point where something culminates and comes to an end. God culminated his work and rested on the seventh day. The nation of Israel culminated their wandering in the wilderness and were brought into the rest of the promised land. And there was at least in the movement of God's progressive work of saving them a cessation of one stage in their life and journey as a nation and the beginning of a new stage. It actually means to culminate. It means to come to a point of rest or a stopping point. This is where the religious journey of the nation of Israel was supposed to end It was supposed to end by turning into Christ as the culmination of all they sought. He was the culmination of their pursuit of salvation. He would be the culmination of their pursuit and desire to live sanctified and holy lives. He would be the culmination of their longing and desire for eternal significance because He was the eternal life. He was the rest that they were moving towards. Hebrews 3.14, in a sense, defines and gives us the nature of this whole idea of rest. And we see that it all rests, it all comes to a conclusion in the person of Jesus Christ. We have become, it says, partakers of Christ. If we hold to our confession and to the end. Partakers of Christ. Christ himself is the rest. He is the rest of salvation from the bondage of sin. He's the rest of salvation that brings to an end all of our labors... He is the rest of salvation that comes at the end of His labor for us on our behalf, dying and suffering for our sins and rising from the dead. He is the rest of sanctification because through Him and by Him we live with power to conquer sin and to gain new ground for His glory. And He is the rest of eternal life because He is the resurrection and the life. And as we said last week, Jesus said of Himself, Come unto Me. And I will give you rest. It's Him. He's the stopping point. He's the culminating point. But the question for the people at this time is, would they believe and would they obey? Would they turn into Him and would they stay with Him? 
would they, in their unbelief instead, disobey? Or would they turn back and would they just kind of drive away from what was there before them? That's the real question that's lying here. And the reason they were potentially going to miss this Savior and turn out from Him was not because they lacked compelling evidence. We've already spoken of these are people that are being written in Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that has been rocked and stirred up by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and by the central point at which the apostles were declaring their message of His resurrection and demonstrating that resurrection power by the endowment of power that Christ had put upon them to heal people and to proclaim His message and His word with authority. No, it wasn't from a lack of evidence. It wasn't because God had not revealed truth to them. It wasn't because the Spirit wasn't even actively underscoring to their consciences all that they were hearing and all that they were seeing. No, they were going to turn back because of unbelief. That's the issue. Actually, when you study the history of the Jewish people, you'll see that there's an ongoing record of the people of God turning back in unbelief in the presence of the clear revelation of God to them. Over and over again, you'll see this in the Old Testament. The first clear story you have this of the people of Israel is an act that came under the ministry of Moses. They had been delivered out of Egypt through a succession of ten great miracles that defeated the gods of Egypt and established God as the God of all gods. They had escaped the pursuing army of the Egyptians when they had pressed them against the Red Sea and God had miraculously divided the waters of the Red Sea and they had passed through into freedom and the Red Sea had closed in upon their pursuers. They had encountered God revealing Himself in His Shekinah glory rumbling over Mount Sinai. They were led by the pillar of fire of God's glorious presence at night and by a cloud that covered them, God's glorious presence in the daytime. At Mount Sinai, as God rumbled upon the mount, they were given God's law. They witnessed miraculous judgments of God at the foot of Mount Sinai against those who turned against Him in idolatry. All of this happened in a relatively short period of time in the history of the nation of Israel. And then, from Mount Sinai, they traveled 11 days to the border of the Promised Land. And the God who had granted them this victory, leading them out of Egypt, the God who had led them through the Red Sea, the God who had revealed Himself in power at Mount Sinai, the God who brought judgment to those who would fall back and do a Idolatry at the base of Mount Sinai, the God who by this great pillar of fire led to the edge of the promised land, told them, go in and I'll give you the victory. Well, they wanted to scout the land out, and so they sent in scouts to scout out the land for 40 days. When the scouts came back, they reported of all the great bounty that was in the land, but also of the great power of the people that were before them and of their own fears and... In unbelief, they refused to go into the promised land even though God commanded them and called them and with the command gave a great promise and before the command had revealed His own power. Did they lack information? Did they lack the right intellectual knowledge to make a knowledgeable decision of what they would do? No. But in unbelief, they refused to enter into the land of rest. They refused to throw off from themselves the identity that they clothed themselves with as slaves and to claim the identity that God wanted to give them as free men, as His own army and as His own soldiers. 
In fact, not only were they not able to enter into the promised land, but they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time in the wilderness, God continued to show His goodness and grace to them, but throughout it all, they continued to complain. And actually in our passage, as we read through our passage, we have a reference to the fact that in verse 8, in the day of trial in the wilderness, the terminology that's used there actually is, and the words used there refer to two different occasions that happened where the nation of Israel tested or tried God in the rebellion and in the day of trial, those two phrases. And it refers to something that happened with the nation of Israel at the beginning point of their wanderings in the wilderness and something that happened at the end of their wanderings. And the idea is that throughout this whole period of time, they continue to test and try God. They continue to be unbelieving of God. They continue to have kind of an attitude just like this. If you really loved us, God... If you really were with us and by us and for us, you would do this and this and this. And they complained and they moaned. And finally, God said, you get the idea in this, that although God had not let them in the promised land, there was even here a possibility of relenting at some point in time. But they never turned away from their unbelief and never turned away from their testing of God. And so eventually God sealed them in this sentence that he had laid over them. The grace of God had miraculously been brought to them and over and over again that grace had been rebuffed and finally in its place God determines that they will not be allowed to enter the rest and they will die as corpses in the wilderness. God's grace reveals to bring us out of judgment but if God determines that we'll spite that grace, the same grace will conceal in order to limit the extent of our judgment. So say to God, Show me yourself and I will follow you. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.